The mortgage industry never stays still. With interest rates moving, companies changing, and regulation increasing, there's always another story. This is The Principle, where we break it down daily and take a deeper dive into the issues. I'm Christine Stewart, Editorial Director for the Mortgage News Network. Let's pay it down. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO, the lending partner with the products, people, and technology to serve your customers and help you grow your business in the best ways possible. It's why they say, at PennyMac, greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is Division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID number 35953. Loans not available in New York. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Industries across the economy are embracing technology and becoming more efficient. But how fast is that happening in the mortgage industry? I'm Mike Savino, head of multimedia for the Mortgage News Network. And today I'm joined by Scott Roller. He's co-founder of VendorSurf, a search engine that helps companies within the mortgage industry find vendors for all kinds of goods and services. Scott, thanks for joining me. Hey, you're welcome. Good morning, Mike. So Scott, you recently wrote about this for our uh, National Mortgage Professional as an insider about using technology to get beyond what you refer to as as the paper palooza uh, within the mortgage industry. Obviously, there's a lot of paperwork, a lot of filings that have to get done. How well are we doing in the mortgage industry you know, not having to do paper, using technology and, and advancing with the times? Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> um, listen, there's a lot of good intent out there. Um, it, for, for whatever the reasons, um, we just lag behind other interest uh, industries. Um, healthcare is, is a big one, for example, travel, entertainment. You know, there, there's no hard data, but anecdotally, I think most people believe that the mortgage industry is perpetually a good 15 years behind um, more leading edge industries in that. And I think reasons are far and wide, and it depends on, you know, the size of you as a lender, your access to capital, um, access to resources. I mean, it's, you know, there's some heavy lifts that can take place. And, um, you know, it's interesting, Mike, I've had so many conversations lately about, hey, I'm a vendor. When the heck is a good time for me to reach out? And so uh, I've repeated this conversation so often lately. During the pandemic, when rates were at their historic lows, lenders of all shapes and sizes, even the mediocre to subpar lenders, their pipelines were overflowing. They could not get to the refi volume. So it was a hand in the face to all vendors out there trying to sell their wares and add value. Hey, come see me in a year. I'm too busy. Well, now it's kind of do or die. It's survival mode that the, the refi tap is shut off. We're switching to a purchase market. There's not a lot of inventory and people are saying, Hey, now's not a good time. So the question is, when is that window of a good time for vendors? It's, it's tough. It really is. And um, the what I see are the lenders that have a strategic focus and can make that hard commitment to money and resources um, are really going to be not only the long term survivors, but those that will thrive, um, especially against a lot of the 
um, Silicon Valley VC backed um, entities that are popping up. Yeah. And you mentioned, obviously, you know, we all know how well healthcare has has done this. We all go to the doctor's office and everything is is automated and, and shared electronically. So that's a field with a lot of filings and paperwork that does it. Um, you know, you mentioned there's there's a lot of reasons within the mortgage industry and, and they vary by company. Do you find that it is the bigger, uh, more financially backed companies that are taking this dip? Because obviously there's a cost to buying these products up front. Yeah, it's a tremendous cost. It's it's a major investment. And um, the the people that I see taking a bite out of the apple, when I say people, the lenders that I see taking a bite out of the apple, um, engaging vendors with the tools, the experience and the know-how to truly come in and revolutionize from an automation perspective, a lot of them are um, well capitalized from outside sources, frankly. Um, those that are trying to self-fund based on origination activity or your know, servicing revenue and, and such like that, um, not quite as engaged. There's a lot of intent. There's a lot of want and need. But, um, you know, the stars are just not always in alignment for them. Are there some some easy and for companies that really haven't advanced, are there some easy ways in some low hanging fruits where, hey, you can do this. It's easy. It's cost effective. And you'll really get a bang for your buck to see the benefits of, of technology. Uh, in my mind, yes, it's a great question, Mike, by the way. Um, there are I would say, you know, there's a lot of companies that are um selling their wares and um, automation, and that could be um, robotic process automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain, uh, and hybrids thereof. There's a lot of hybrid stuff um, going on there. Um, so low-hanging fruit, uh, the, we are such a paper-palooza-driven industry that there's low-hanging fruit everywhere. Um, in origination, servicing and default servicing, every bit of it. Um, um, you know, people always talk about originations being way behind the curve. Servicing is probably even further behind the curve. Um, there's just not been a lot of major investment in the past, you know, re really, I guess, in the lifetime of mortgage servicing. So there's opportunity galore everywhere. There is a lot of low hanging fruit because there's so much manual um, stare and compare uh, processes. Um, there's a lot of opportunity out there and um, it, it behooves you to start small. There are multiple vendors out there that have migrated a lot of stuff to cloud and they are plug and play and the integrations, the heavy lift integrations of the past um, are starting to um, lose a lot of weight. You know, they are really becoming a light lift and not a heavy lift. And um, I think that if you investigate that type of stuff and you know whom to go to, um, there is a lot of uh, low hanging fruit and you can get there, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, a good vendor. Um, will never come to you and say, oh my gosh, I've got all this and here's what you need. A good vendor uh, takes the approach as, listen, I don't know you. Who are you? 
What are you trying to accomplish? What's driving your interest and need? Is it top line improvement? Is it bottom line improvement? Is it strategic? Is it um, um, for survival mode? Tell me all about you and what's driving you. And then let me overlay, um, you know, all of my thoughts and my tools and my processes and experience and give you some real good guidance. And um, I spoke to a, um, a service provider. I hate to use the word vendor, um, but I spoke to a service provider yesterday and they said, listen, we never want to sign people up with a revenue generating generating contract until we've sort of forced them to use our solution for 45 days. And so that tells me the kind of confidence that vendor has in their product and solution and that the lift is not all that big. So yeah, there, there is a lot of low hanging fruit. The key is um, knowing who's out there and, you know, do you do an RFP? Um, do you just um, try and find people that, that can help give you that guidance? Um, you know, there, there's a, there's a method to the madness. Don't miss the nation's largest show for successful mortgage pros. Originator Connect returns to Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas, August 18th through the 21st. See us at OriginatorConnect.com. It's simply the greatest mortgage conference in the known universe. OriginatorConnect.com. One of the questions I was going to ask, and, and you may have just given me a bit of the answer there, is particularly with artificial intelligence and, and machine learning, obviously these are computers essentially designed to work on formulas and algorithms. And across technology, we see examples of, you know, if there's a, a flaw, essentially a baked in bias into the algorithm, the algorithm is going to do its job and give you outcomes that maybe you weren't looking for. And in this space, that can cost you business. Or if you're getting denial rates that you're not looking for, it can get you into trouble with regulators. So how, as you're shopping for these things, how do you make sure you're getting products that won't cost you business or get into trouble? And I guess part of the answer is look for a client that's going to tailor stuff to what you're trying to do, right? There is a, there's a profound statement that I probably learned 30 years ago when I was in telecom. And it is before you automate, obliterate. <laughs> you know, you really need, need to take a look at what it is you're doing, because if you automate, you're just going to get the same mediocre or bad results faster. So um, and again, there, there's time. There, there's a process. Um, let's say at least a person or a, a small team of people that are process experts saying the, the things we're doing manually today, are, are they bulletproof? Um, are they really adding a lot of value or are, are there some holes there that we need to cover? Let's fix those processes, whether we fix it um, and, and start doing it manual or fix it in the requirements development as we're going to automate um, before you automate obliterate. So you really have to uh, do a checkup from the neck up and, and really see um, the tasks you're doing manually today. Um, is there major opportunity there? Because you're going to automate it to get to that same solution faster if you don't do anything different with some sort of deep dive review. So, um, yeah, you really do need to look at that. And the, this automation, I mean, they um, a good service provider will come in and, and help you. You know, they sit in the captain's chair. They've looked at lenders of all shapes and sizes. They've seen the best of the best, the worst of the worst. Well, they can't really share trade secrets from somebody else. They can say anecdotally, here's some opportunities for you to, I think, improve. You can skip X, Y, Z and go straight to, um, you know, double A, double B, double C, 
whatever the case may be. And they can give you good consulting advice um, as they're um, helping you to identify automation. So, um, you know, there's really no substitute for um, experience in, in that space and the willingness to relook at your practices while you're doing this. You, you mentioned blockchain and you, and you write about it in, in your column. What should people know about blockchain? And are we seeing a lot of it within the mortgage industry? Because some people know it very well. Other people are loosely aware of the, the term at best. Uh, what should people know about blockchain? Um, it's astounding. Um, now, listen, I don't consider myself as a blockchain expert. I have zero days of deployment experience. Okay. But um, I study it. I research. I stay on top of it. Um, and if you really spend three to four hours um, looking at blockchain and what it's capable, what it actually is, um, it has profound opportunity to change the way business is done. So much so that I think it frightens people. There, there's a massive mindset change. Um, you're talking about um, a lender who has to go to the mindset that everything is transparent. I may not be an author of the data. I may not be the owner of the data anymore. And it may sit out there and it's, it's highly trans. Those terms scare people. And, and so I termed a, 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 one of the things in the article, besides a paper palooza term, uh, uh, one of the things I talked about was maybe it's block change. You know, um, blockchain has a propensity to really kind of um, potentially stymie people to say, oh, my gosh, that's a lot for me to consider because the potential is there to really um, reduce a lot of um, middle people, um, uh, really um, reduce a lot of steps. Um, but there's um, authorship, ownership transparency and things that really scare people. It's a radically way of a uh, new way of doing business. So uh, there uh, you really have to understand that. So you, you have to identify places to start small and grow into it. And um, so we are we're in the talking about stages in the mortgage industry. There's very few um, deployments right now. I name a couple of companies in the mortgage industry. I name a, a couple of countries that have revolutionized mortgage with some blockchain. And even a country, the country of Estonia, has really put everything to run their country on blockchain for 20 years. So it, it's not really new. It's just not widely deployed. And, um, you know, it's like anything else. You, you, you know, you put your toe in the water first, then your ankle, then get knee deep, chest deep, neck deep over time. And it's a migration, potentially multi-year, but wow, um, it, it just, just the article, which is what a couple pages long, gives you some real life examples of what's possible, but also um, the plausible change of mindset. And um, it, it's, it's pretty substantial, but it's as substantial as how deep you want to deploy. There's, there's some fairly low-hanging fruit on blockchain, just like RPA, AI, machine learning, um, and, and, and grow from there. But um, the opportunity is wide 
It's just that um, blockchain is a lot less, um, it's more fuzzy than some of the uh, RPA, AI, and ML. But um, when, when people start to deploy it at a ubiquitous level, um, well, I think they'll really become winners in the marketplace. And one of the, it's almost an all or nothing approach for blockchain to really add value and revolutionize what's capable. You got to get a lot of your partners on it. So you may as a lender say, wow, or even as a vendor say, wow, I'm going to do this. Well, for it to really maximize what it can do for you, you've got to get your other stakeholders on board too. And, you know, over time, I think that's really what it's going to take. And as soon as a few people really start to win, um, it'll become um, compulsory. It'll be, we have to get there. How many years away is that? I don't know. What advice would you have for somebody who got into the industry 20, 30 years ago, and now they're out on their own, running their own firm or bank? And, and you know, I've been doing this. Why do I need to change? We've been successful. Our customers are comfortable. We don't really embrace too much technology. What advice would you have for them about now is the time because, you know, the time is never good. So do it now. Um, complacency is a killer. And um, you, you just, you know, the costs to originate and service loan are, are fairly exorbitant, you know, and, um, you know, it's always what between seven, eight, nine thousand dollars on the origination side. Um, if you stay complacent and that stays the same when everybody else is going to move down to six thousand and five thousand and four thousand, you're out of business. Uh, that's just it, it's just the, the nature of the evolution of technology. So, you know, looking at strategic partnerships if if you don't if you don't foresee the ability to fund that type of thing in the near future you need to put yourself in a position to find do you do you merge with somebody do you form alliances do you get some um, investors to come in and help you with that um it's it's really um it, it's at so setting blockchain aside, since since it's a bigger bite of the apple, um, you know, start with other technologies, RPA, AI, machine learning, and look for some opportunities on low hanging fruit. Um, and that'll that'll remain that'll keep you competitive to some degree. But as blockchain gets more popular and it really starts to drive hyper productivity and massive cost reduction and higher quality and, you know, um, uh, better cycle time, um, you're, there's going to be those that have it and those that don't, and there's going to be a big chasm in, in the success factor. Yeah, especially as we look at where the market is headed with originations drying up and it's really purchase-driven refis are, are plummeting. You really got to get the bang for your buck out of your uh, loan writing. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate it. And keep up the great work on your side. Thank you. And we'll have the rest of your headlines right after this word. This podcast was brought to you by PennyMac TPO. Visit tpo.pennymac.com to learn more about becoming a partner and starting your journey to greatness. Here's the rest of your headlines for today, July 6th. Mortgage applications fell by 5.4% last week. That's despite mortgage rates continuing to come back down. According to the NBA, the average rate for the 30-year fix was 5.74% last week, 
a full point lower than the prior week. But purchase loans fell by 4% and refis dropped by 8% a week after rebounding. It seems higher prices are pushing buyers out of the market even as those rates settle. According to CoreLogic, prices in May were up only 1.8% from April. But with months of historic gains, prices are still up 20% from a year ago. Still, CoreLogic economist Selma Hepp thinks May's small gains is a sign that the market is returning to normal. This has been The Principal, a Mortgage News Network podcast. All podcasts are produced by T.G. Kutamperor, Matthew Mullins, and Sarah Woolock. Mike Savino is head of multimedia, and Christine Stewart is editorial director. The opening theme was Status by Jamie Bathgate, and the music you hear now is Glossy by Skygaze. You can find episodes of The Principal at www.mortgagenewsnetwork.com, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate and review so that others can find us. Thanks for listening.